Hi, good morning, and welcome to another episode of Ask Ellie Intuitive Insights and Your Questions Answered. My name is Ellie Molina, and I am your hostess. And if you're joining us for the first time on this podcast, here's a little about me. I'm an intuitive, a psychic, author, consultant, educator, and the creator of SciKids Academy, a magical place where children and their adults learn to tap their inner magic while raising consciousness. To learn more about SciKids, head on over to www.scikidsacademy.com and download your free 16-page guide titled, What If? Six Ways to Help Your Child Tap Their Inner Magic. And today, my guest is Daz Smith, known in the remote viewing circle as one of the best remote viewers of this era. And Daz, welcome to Ask Ellie. You have such an amazing bio that I have to share with our listeners before we begin today's conversation. But if you'd like to say hello, well, say hello to our listeners today. Yeah. Hi there. And happy new year to you and and your listeners. I hope it's going to be a good year for all of us. Thank you. Yeah, me too. I'm so excited to have you and I'm very honored and pleased that you're here with us today on Ask Ellie. Um, Daz Smith, for those of you meeting Daz on this podcast for the first time, he's an artist, a graphic designer, and an author. He's an active remote viewer who continuously works with the top people in the field on both public and private remote viewing projects. He also runs several large information websites on the subject of remote viewing, and he edits and publishes Eight Martinis, a print online magazine dealing with the subject of remote viewing. Daz has also extensively researched the CIA Stargate archives and is very familiar with the 91,000 pages of information released on the government remote viewing programs. For the past three years, Daz has also been part of an experimental project called Cryptocurrency, where crypto, viewing, <laughs> crypto viewing, whereby remote viewing is used to predict cryptocurrencies, markets, financials, news, and more for a base of subscribers. Um, Daz, there's just like in this intro and it goes on. So anybody who wants to read more about Daz, you can get onto his website and I'll have links below in the podcast. But, um, one of the things I just wanted to say, there's so many interesting pieces to your bio that, uh, we can start anywhere. Um, yeah. So if those of us who are unfamiliar with the world of remote viewing, uh, maybe, Daz, you could share a little bit about what it is and how you got started. And then I want to tap into when I first saw your first, I saw eight martinis before I even knew who you were. So <laughs> it just brings me back. All right. Take it, Daz. Tell us a little bit about your world. Absolutely. Yes. Um, well, I was, I'm, I was, I'm luckier than most people that, that find uh, anything psychic that they want to uh, train in over their life in that. I grew up in a in a household where my mother was in, invested and interested in all this, uh, so it was normal for us to have a library of books on all kinds of subjects. You know, learning telepathy, to clairvoyance, mediumship. You know, the the writings of Silver Birch. So we had a vast library. So from a very early age, that was essentially my reading material, and I still remember from the age of ten years old that my favorite books that I used to read, uh, even at school, were on mysteries like, uh, you know, paranormal mysteries, ghosts, and UFOs. Uh, 
I'm just starting from there for me, really. Uh, at the age of around about 14, I took uh, classical, what I call classical psychic training. So that was in uh, clairvoyance, mediumship, uh, readings, and readings using things like tarot cards, sand, tea leaves, pretty much any, you know, crystal balls, crystals, pretty much anything that was around at the time. And I liked that, and I did really well on it. And it was almost like I was um, scheduled to follow in my mother's footsteps of being a uh, clairvoyant medium, because uh, she was uh, quite established in the local spiritualist church here in in Bath, where I live. Uh, and, you know, it was almost like I was going to take that route. But that's not something I really wanted to do. And in 1992, when I was at a UFO conference... I uh, happened to hear an au uh, a taped audio conversation uh, with someone who claimed to be a government insider. And he started talking about how the government in the uh, US were using trained psychics to go anywhere in time and space and look, look, look for UFOs. And that intrigued me. And, and you know, from that day onwards, I was hooked. Of course, mm. it, was, it was 92, so it was pre-internet, really. Um, so I had to essentially wait till around about 1995 when it all became public and we started hearing about remote viewing through some email news groups. Uh, and then it took off for me from there really. In 97, I trained in it and I've been doing it ever since. So I think I'm on, you know, nearly 25 years of practicing remote viewing now. Yeah, you've got an incredible history. Um, and it's really interesting. I didn't know that about you, that you were exposed to all of this world when you were 14 it's such a so you're you know wow this is really very very cool no wonder you're considered one of the best remote viewers over here in this era that is such an honor um and i want to talk to you about perhaps and, and i know that the listeners who listen to you all the time are so familiar with this work but the people that are listening to my podcast this is really new stuff for them so if you can just share a little bit about the cia stargate just a little bit and, and even talk a little bit about ingo swan which is going to be a very new name for people um that may be like a little bit of background history so that i can start and, and to ask the rest of the questions that i've got going on over here <laughs> absolutely yeah uh i'll first just go make a quick introduction in, into what remote viewing is remote viewing is essentially using your intuition or any other psych you know any other psychic skill that we all have or we can all develop but what we do that makes it different than the what i call the classical techniques is that we uh, we agree as remote viewers to do our intuitive process uh, wrapped up in a set of uh, rules which we call protocols, um, and they are that number one that you know the project is never spontaneous. The the project is always chosen, or there is always a target chosen before we do it as remote viewers. Um, we always work blind, meaning that uh, we don't know what the target is. It's always hidden behind a random number and given to us. Um, and we also don't have anyone that knows the target in the vicinity of us when we're working the target as well or in communication with us. Uh, we always we always record the data so that it can be looked at later and it can't be changed. Uh, and the most uh, the most interesting and needed component as uh, part of the remote viewing process is we always should have targets that have an element of feedback so that we can look at the we can take the R, the remote viewing data we can then compare it to the feedback information and you can give yourself an assessment of the accuracy. Um, so it's, yeah, so I'm just, I'm just a psychic or an intuitive like anyone else. 
other than uh yeah we wrap what we do within these rules and you know every literally over 25 years i've worked every single project i i would only work it if it's if it's wrapped up in these rules um i don't allow myself to go outside these rules in any way so that's like a basic overview of remote viewing and it essentially came about from uh around about 1972 the americans heard rumors that the russians were using uh, trained psychics to spy on them, you know, right. and spending huge amounts of resources and money on this. So the CIA decided to investigate this. So it, it went to the Stanford Research Institute, one of the leading think tanks in the U.S., still to this day, uh, and said to said to some of the people there, uh, Harry Putoff and, and, and Russell Targ, can you look into this for us? Here's a $50,000 grant, which they did. Um, and it started to show some very good successes. And it essentially snowballed from there and continued from for t over 20 years to 1995 when it was terminated. Um, and during this process, uh, it started right at the very beginning, a young man called Ingo Swan from New York, who was a, an artist and a creative himself. Um, he started to get into uh, psychic research himself in New York. And he heard about the SRI program. So he sent a letter to uh, Howe Putoff uh, and said, you know, I got these skills. How about testing me? Howe thought he'd give it a go, invited Ingo to SRI. And then Ingo just blew him away with, with his skills in, in remote viewing. And he essentially spent the next, uh, the next, I'd say, 23 years then working with Howe Putoff to create a methodology, which we now know today as controlled remote viewing, right. uh, which is essentially... A broken down process of how Ingo Swan himself went through an intuitive process, uh, and then he, he broke it down and then re recreated it as, as CRV or controlled remote viewing, and they essentially transferred that to the American military, and the American military used that technique to uh, to spy on the Russians and all kinds of uh, activities. Right. So that's a, that's a quick overview, really. really. Right, right, there's, right. A lot, there's a lot more in depth. You know, there's a lot more people involved: the CIA, the FBI, the NSA, Department of Defense. Right. Everyone, yeah, everyone at one point or another used uh, various uh, remote viewers uh, in the in the twenty plus, twenty three year plus history to to look at things that they couldn't get information on by any other means. Wow, I know it's fascinating. It's really fascinating. Um, the first time. So I've been doing psychic work, just to talk about myself for a minute. I've been doing psychic work all my life, but yeah. without the formal training that a lot of other people have had. So when I came across the International Remote Viewing Association back in 2015, that's when I found them. It was right. like, oh my God, I found people who look at the psychic world seriously and not as... Um, Madam Cleo, okay, and like who's yes. gonna who scratched my car yesterday? Who cares? You know, uh, there are bigger things in the world and more important. So I was so drawn to Irva that I attended a conference in in New Orleans that year, and Daz, I was such a newbie sitting. I sat next to I sat next to Russell Targ, and I had no idea who Russell Targ was. Oh, right. Here we were sitting next to each other, chatting and doing all of this. You know what people do when they sit together in conferences. And then all of a sudden, Lance Mungia comes on and starts talking about third eye spies. And here's Russ. I had zero clue. So <laughs> yeah. it was just really fascinating. And um, 
you know, I don't know if the, if, well, for people listening, they may want to just check on third eye spies. So they may, they'll get a background. It's a movie yeah. and a documentary so they can get some background a little bit more on the Stargate project and the history of remote viewing. And then that also brings me to um, men who stare at goats, right? Cause you, yes. Right. You know, lots of those men who stared at maybe not George Clooney, but, you know, lots of those men who stared at goats. Right. I do. Yes. Uh, The films, uh, you know, the film is a bit uh, too comedic for my liking because, it, you know, it sheds a comedic uh, look at the topic and the the subject. But to be honest, there have been, you know, there have been some crazy moments in the history of uh, remote viewing and psychic development as it was used by the military. You know, they did do some experiments where they did try to stop the hearts of goats and stuff like that yeah during the process wow i know i know um i know that marie geller was also involved a little bit in um wasn't he involved in stargate also in that project he, was, he wasn't involved in stargate but he was tested uh in 1972 1973 at stanford research institute at the very mm-hmm. beginning they gave him a classical uh psychic test to do and, and remote viewing test and he you know uh, the videos writer of all those experiments they're on my you know they're on my youtube channel and everything so and he did he did very well at them at the time although that they, they couldn't absolutely 100 percent confirm that there was no trickery involved because you know it wasn't it was an it wasn't ironclad experiments uh yori tended to have the uh he had a way about him where he would you know he was quite a showman so you you couldn't sit him down uh, and make him stay there you know you would get up he would walk around he would leave the room come back so it wasn't ironclad but they you know, they were pretty sure that he showed a really good uh intuitive effect yeah 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 he has like uh the, today they would probably call him adhd or something you know so something like that yes yes <laughs> yeah so i have a question a couple of questions for you to, um you Oh, before I forget, because I have a 10, what happened? Anyway, one of the things I'd like to, um, can you please tell people where they can go on YouTube so that they can find your channel and they can watch the videos and really get some history um, and participate in in remote viewing? Yeah, yeah. Uh, On YouTube, uh, they just have to type in the word, uh, all one word, remote viewed, and then that will come up on my channel there. And it does have the... uh, Lanceman GF film on there for Die Spies, and it also has a two-hour interview I did with Lance recently uh, about making that documentary as well. But it also has, you know, has the chat we had with you, uh, which which was fantastic, and and the other people we get along usually on a Friday night for just a general open discussion on all things remote viewing. There are also loads of uh, loads of uh, techniques on how to learn remote viewing on that channel as well. And I also have lots of my examples on there where you can actually see me live in front of uh, a video camera doing doing remote viewing on, on a whiteboard usually. Wow. And you teach remote viewing also. So I, I do, um, but I only teach one to two people a year. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. So it's pretty, it's pretty, but you have, don't you have an online course also for people if they were interested? No, what, uh, what, but what I did do is... Uh, midway through last year uh, to help people that are new to remote viewing i devised a, a two sheet a paper template system where they could literally just do it straight off of watching a five minute video of me showing how to fill in the template and then going off with the sheet of paper and then doing it themselves 
Yeah, I've seen that video, FYI. Okay, so that is very effective. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, awesome. All right, let's talk a little bit about Ingo. Um, I've got some questions that people have sent in. I'm curious about Ingo and I, for our listeners, and I'm also curious, this is a personal thing. I'm very curious about your 9-11 project. Okay, so I do own a copy of that book, but I have a personal interest in that. Um, So I'm going to circle back after we talk about Ingo a little bit and I ask you these questions. All right. All right. Tell us a little bit about Ingo Swan, because um, most of my listeners have never heard this name before. Wow. OK. Yeah. Well, Ingo is a, a, he's a he's, he is an amazing person. He's, he's passed now. He passed a couple of years ago. Um, and he's essentially what we call the father of remote viewing. Uh, he was invited to SRI in 1972 to participate. And he pretty much stayed there till 1986 when he, he left. Um, and he devised what we use uh, today is called controlled remote viewing, which is a set of methods, you know, very strict methods based on, you know, just writing your observations down on sheets of paper with a pen of how to record your intuition. Um, but uh, it's essentially that, that set of methods he produced in, you know, uh, in 1986 has become what we call the genesis of remote viewing. And there are many other methods out there that their root core comes from from mm. those techniques that Ingo created. And he, yeah, he was just an amazing, gifted, uh, creative, uh, intu- intuitive person that had the insight where no one else has gone in the past. Uh, he wouldn't take no for an answer. So he would be involved in scientific experiments and he didn't let the scientists take control. You know, he let them do their experiment, but he also chipped in with ways he could make the experiment better uh, and how he could get better information by assessing his own intuitive process you know he was very good at breaking down his intuitive process to find out what was the signal and what was the noise and that's essentially the crux of all his work was uh, over the years i've known him in in remote viewing is determining what's the signal coming through and what is the noise separating noise acts then you then get you know you amplify you amplify the signal essentially yeah. Um, and he, yeah. he was just amazing he uh, he spent a huge career in in remote viewing and psychic research uh, on his CV, he tells me he did over one million uh, experiments for scientists over that period of time. That's insane! Wow, it is insane. Yeah, and you know, I uh, because I've got access to his because his his records now, all his papers and records have gone to the University of West Georgia. Right. And for two years, I've been looking at those and exploring those, and it's amazing to see because you know you'll see that it'll go away. For example, he spent four years trying to remote view letters and numbers because. For remote viewers, uh, what we do as a process, we try to use our senses, taste, touch, smell, sight, to describe targets. Uh, so, you know, we would describe a car or something like hard, metallic, feels like it's moving, feels like it was designed. It has four black r- rubber smelling parts to it. You know, what we do with remote viewing is we try to describe, we never try to identify because when yeah. you identify, your imagination kicks in because it wants to please you. Um, and yeah, so Inga was really good at doing all that kind of stuff. And he, he developed this really amazing uh, techniques for, for us to do this. And uh, as part of this four-year study he did on trying to get words and numbers, which are hard for us because it's hard to describe a number, you see. If I told you to t- describe the number five with your normal senses, it has no color. It has no texture it has no taste it has no smell so it's very hard to describe other than trying to describe you know general shapes 
So he spent four years just literally on one project alone trying to describe letters and numbers. And he did tens of thousands of experiments on that. And I've seen the experiments. He was like a machine, you know, unlike most of us that give up after a few, he was like a machine. He would, you know, if, he's, if he had a project in mind, he would be there in, until the end. Wow, that is amazing. amazing. Yeah. yeah, amazing yeah. work. Just even thinking about how to describe a letter or even a number without, with, right, it's just a visual that we have, that we've learned, that we've associated. Again, now we're going into this analytical overlay, the AOLs, right? Like, yes. That's it, you know? Um, and you met Ingo, so... I did, yes. Uh, I mean, uh, Ingo, in, in, in the mid-90s, the late 90s, uh, on... The uh, internet news boards or email news groups where people were discussing remote viewing because it was a new subject then, it got to be quite heated at times. Uh, and we have to be honest in in that uh, I would say half the scientists and practitioners out there uh, don't believe that remote viewing could be trainable or that the, the trainable methods work. Um, so there's you know there's always been this debate over did Ingo's method work? You know does it work well? Uh, has it been evaluated properly? And because I read all the documents in the Stargate archives, uh, and you know I've, I'm well versed in the history of remote viewing, I defended Ingo quite a lot in these in these remote viewing groups. And it got back to him that I was uh, defending him. Uh, and then he started the dialogue with with me, which was in itself strange because Ingo would never use uh, new technology like computers and the internet. So the dialogue would go like he would see what I or if if he if if we had a two way dialogue, I would have to uh, email my letter to a friend of his. A friend of his then would print it out and fax it to Ingo. Ingo would then read it, type up a letter, fax it back to the guy who would then scan it in and send it back to me by by email. So that it was is a long wild, yeah. It is. It's a long, wild, complicated process. Um, but that's how we got to know each other because, because I started defending him and his research. Uh, it led to him inviting me to sp spend time with him in New York. And I, and I went there. I was meant to stay for a week, but I ended up only staying for a day because I knew he was quite ill at the time and I didn't want to burden him. Mm -hmm. uh, so I literally only spent, you know, eight or nine hours with him in, in his uh, apartment in New York. But, you know, being invited there uh, was an honor in itself because not many people had that. Right. Chance. Right. Yeah. That is an honor in of itself. Absolutely. Wow. 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 Um, I'm going, I've got so many questions coming into my own right coming up right now for me that I can want to go off on tangents, but I do want to ask two questions that were submitted to me. And because that's part of Ask Ellie, Intuitive Insights, Ask Questions. So my first question is for you. And it um I it was submitted by a gentleman from England. And the question is, Daz, what are the limitations of the remote viewing tool, if there are any? Okay, so far, I don't think there are any limitations whatsoever. Um, but there are caveats to that in that, as discussed just now, uh, we know that numbers and letters are harder. I don't like, you know, some people have said impossible. I don't believe that's true because there have been odd occasions where I myself have got perfect words and numbers and letters and I've seen other people do it as well. I just think they're harder because they're they're uh, what we call non-tangible. They don't exist in reality. You know, they're not physical. Um, so I think numbers and, and, and words are hard. Uh, I think looking at events in the future, 
uh, are harder, um, less accurate, and you know the stats from myself and everyone else in interim reviewing shows that uh, looking at future events are less accurate than looking at past events by a small degree, but they are less accurate. But again, I think lots of things come into play at that. Other than those two, though, um, I don't think anything can stop or hinder our RV. Remote viewing can go anywhere, anytime in, in time and space. As long as you know, you know, and you're prepared that if you're looking into the future, you have to be prepared that your your data on that is probably 10, 20, 30% less accurate than it would be if you're looking at normal stuff. Not always, but you, you have to keep that in mind. Right. And... Thank you for that. And that, that brings to mind again, that people who are not as skilled as say you and Lynn and you, Tom, and you know, we can men mention Lori, many names, right? Ray, go on and on and on. But for people who are not as skilled, uh, I really think, oh, and Paul, of course, I really think that one of the biggest problems in remote viewing for the remote viewer is the associative the associative component. I mean, maybe I'm just talking myself, but one of my biggest drawbacks is that I just see something and I'll describe it. And then, you know, that associative overlay kicks in yeah. and then I'm a little doomed. All right. <laughs> so, <laughs> sometimes I can hit it. All right. Which is, is it luck or did I just, I don't really understand the, yeah. the, the, process of it but i think that is the biggest hindrance in remote viewing for for people not even even experienced remote viewers right like what do you do with that when it kicks in absolutely the uh the noise you know because we all have a lot of noise in our day-to-day -day lives and you know in the universe in general um does interfere in the process but that's where i think uh ingo's initial vision of controlled remote viewing is uh it's pretty amazing, um, you know, and I've studied all them. And I, I, I'm quite lucky, as I said, because I'm come from the viewpoint of I tried everything before remote viewing and I was quite good at what I tried. Other than everything I tried beforehand was very chaotic and archaic. You know, a lot, so most of it was spontaneous. But if I was doing channeling or if I was doing a, a reading for a person, uh, you don't know, you know, for, for number one, you don't know if the reading is coming off the body language or anything like that. But it was all very spontaneous, whereas the uh, the methodology that Ingo created and, you know, where everything stems from from there into all the other flavors of remote viewing is very controlled and it puts you as, a, as an intuitive in total control of the process. And it also gives you a very good system to understand when that noise is coming in, that, that, that analytical overlay. And, you know, you can move that to one side to, to separate it. So I do believe that it's the process that that helps, and the fact that uh, you know, I've I've used that particular process for twenty four going on twenty five years now. Um, it's not taught me anything external. Uh, what it teaches you eventually over that period of time is uh, how to read your own internal subtle uh, impressions. Yeah. Um, I, I've I've learned nothing about the universe with this, uh, and you know it's nothing external. Uh, the CRD, CRV and other methodologies over a period of time teach you about yourself and how when you get li these little tingly sensations come in, you know, your spider sense, the very small little nuances of those may indicate certain things to you. And again, that comes that comes with, with just practice and, and getting it right and wrong over a period yeah. of time. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that. Um, 
I just want to share this because this talks about, we're talking about uh, signal, we're talking about noise. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I don't have the dates exactly. You know, one of my friends, it was one of those evenings, right, where one of my friends from Oregon said, hey, let's go do some remote viewing. Okay, I'm going to give you a target. And so she gave me this number, boom, 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 right? And I started to, you know, remote view and I saw dead bodies. I saw gray. I mean, I saw, you know, again, is it noise? I saw dead bodies. All right. I saw people lying down. Okay. Figures lying down. Of course, my associative was to put it into, okay, these are bodies. I don't know what they are. These are things lying down. Okay. They're on top of each other. There was a lot of debris on top of it. There was gray. It was devastation and destruction. So my noise went to, ah, this is a photo of the Holocaust, okay? Or something to that extent. That's what it felt like. It felt like really big destruction. And then she said, she opened, you know, she said, no, the target is blah, blah, blah. It's going to be the news tomorrow on USA News. And I was like, I don't even watch the news, okay? Like, uh, anyway, needless to say, the headlines on the following day were the tornado in Kansas with all of the destruction. And I was like, oh, wow. Now I saw that. I didn't know that I saw that. Okay. Cause I didn't go into like, where is this? I didn't go into that. Where am I seeing all of this? And I'm going to tell you, Daz, even if I had asked myself that question, knowing me the way I know myself, I wouldn't have been able to say, oh yeah, Kansas. I know that there's like somebody in our Friday night discussion groups who's able to like take that map and yeah. pinpoint places like that. Only, uh, you know, that's not my, uh, uh-uh, not happening for me as of yet. <laughs> yeah. So when I did get that, of course it was like, wow, now what do you do with that information? What does one do? I mean, right. We, we see something happening. We don't know what it is. Who are we going to tell how, you know, who's going to believe anybody anyway, like with Jimmy, for example, right. In the remote viewing, viewing group who was able to see things, but nobody is going to believe these things. So you know, what do we do with that kind of stuff? If that's even a question to be answering, you know, but yeah. it, <laughs> I'm sure you get this also when you remote view. Absolutely. Um, but but what, what we've done over the past, um, myself and a team of people I work with over the past nearly going on four years now is we take that experience that you just went through, but it, we, we use it in a controlled manner in that we do that to look at um, markets like cryptocurrencies, gold and silver, and we also do the news uh, events as well uh, for our for our patrons. So we have we have around about thirty thousand subscribers at the moment on crypto viewing, mm-hmm. and we you know we do do uh, we do do the cryptocurrencies. We do the other markets like silver and gold occasionally, the Dow Jones, S and P five hundred. But every month, without doubt, we always all all four of us as remote viewers look forward to the uh, the next month, and and we do you know probably five between five and ten predictions each of the top news stories for the, for the following month just so that you know our subscribers can have a look at that and they can get a little bit of insight on some of the things that will probably happen and I, you know i might i can't verify what the others are doing but i know myself that i'm doing the future predictions for that on the news i'm running it around about 65 percent accuracy so if i give you 10 predictions each month six and a half of them will will be true and you know wow. three three and a half won't yeah that is wild um, speaking of cryptocurrencies, um, 
I want to bring that to, I have a number of people that I work with uh, that are now branching. I don't work with them in crypto. That's not my thing. But I have a number of people that I've been working with historically in the psychic realm and all of this who are now branching off into the world of cryptocurrencies. And I know that they are going to find this segment extremely fascinating. Can you share with us if somebody were interested? I've got a people, a few people listening who are very involved in crypto. Yep. Where can they start? What can they do? How can they start to access this world? It's it's yeah, it's, it's quite complicated because you know uh, cryptos are very volatile. They can go up, you know. Well, I mean, Bitcoin, the main one, can go up, up or down twenty percent in in a single day. But essentially, if you want to use intuition towards it, again, you know, if you're using in the RV world, the remote viewing world, you it has to be blind. Uh, so, for example, in crypto viewing, we get given tasks you know cryptocurrency targets and we don't know what they are so we just get the random number uh and each of us there are four of us as full-time remote viewers within the team we go off and do our own thing on it and essentially what i do is i i initially do my ideograms just just get a general flow of the crypto the feeling of it and then i do all these set tasks just so that i can identify once i get feedback if i'm on target so i will try to uh, draw the the logo for the crypto I will then try to describe the top person, CEO or the primary person, and the team below them. I will then try to chart how I think the crypto is going to do over the next month, six months, and a year. So I just, you know, do that almost like automatic writing. Mm-hmm. And then try to sketch or describe the technology behind the crypto or technology or the product. Mm-hmm. And then when I got all this information and I'm given the feedback file after we've all done it all, I can check and, you know, I generally go by if my logo is a good match or getting close to the match of the logo and my CEO and my technology feels right. If those points are right, then I give a lot more credence to my my chart information on if I think uh, and my feelings, if I think it's going to be a, a good crypto or a bad crypto. And that's essentially mm-hmm. how I do it. Uh, and I guess that would be probably a good approach for other people as well to give yourself three or four points that you could check afterwards to verify if you're on target. And if those are right, like the logo and the person involved or even the name of it or something like that, then if you do a prediction chart as well or an idea of where it's going to go up or down, if the rest of it's right, then there's no reason why your chart thing should be off really. You should give it more credence. Mm -hmm. Sounds like good advice. If people listening wanted to be involved in your crypto viewing work do they have access to you somehow some way uh we have a i mean you know if they want to subscribe or anything we have a we have a channel on patreon and it's patreon.com forward slash crypto viewing uh and as i said we have thirty thousand uh subscribers on that now okay. and it's, a, it's like a tiered thing the more you know the more you subscribe the more information you get we put out reports content and it's generally lots of videos it's lots of video works because people don't like to read things nowadays yeah. They didn't want to read a couple hundred pages of information. So we try to do it in these uh, engrossing, I call it infotainment. So it's information and it's entertainment at the same nice. time. Nice. And we don't just do cryptos and stuff as well. You know, once or once a month, we uh, they also, as a team, chuck in the occasional mysteries target. And we've looked at all kinds of things. Like uh, one of our most recent ones was uh, the pyramids. And that's that's out this month. Okay, and, cool. Yeah, you know, the construction of the pyramids, who constructed it, where it came from, all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. those are chucked in as well to, to keep us fresh as remote viewers. Otherwise, it gets a bit boring looking at markets all the time. 
right, to right. Uh, and, and the uh, the patrons and subscribers love that kind of stuff. They want they want that kind of stuff in amongst their information as well. They you know they want they want a bit of a light relief. Right. Okay. Awesome. So if anybody does come afterwards and ask me, I'm going to direct them to you. And Absolutely, yeah. all right. Sounds, sounds good. And we, you know, um, I have to be honest, we are helping people make, you know, we're not financial advisors and we always say right. you should use our information with everyone else's information. But you know, I, myself, I don't have a huge amounts of personal wealth or uh, money, you know, that I could lose, but the money I have invested over the last two years in my own intuitive process uh, it's slightly down today. It's down twenty percent today, but on a, on a general day, I'm up. My my investments up six hundred percent in two years. <laughs> and where can you get? You know, you cannot get that anywhere else. Yes. Good for you. Good for you. I know. I have some people listening to this today who are probably going to reach out because they're working this intuitively and they've been doing very well since they started. But okay. there's always, you know, there's room for more and um, there's always so much learning that needs to happen. So yeah. it's a great place to start. Awesome. Awesome. Um, okay. I have a couple more questions. If we have some more time, we have a few more minutes. And yeah. so I got... This one, I kind of jumping around, but this goes back to Ingo and um, Ingo Swan is called the father of remote viewing. I guess I needed to, I needed to ask this earlier. Does it mean that before him, remote viewing did not exist? Hmm. (laughs) Not in the format. We, I mean, you know, anything psychic is the same, you know, if you're doing clairvoyance or readings, mediumship or anything, or even spontaneous stuff, it is essentially the same as remote viewing, other than what we do is wrapped within these scientific rules. So as yeah. remote viewers were saying, okay, what I'm what I do from now on is going to be within, you know, within these scientific protocols so that it can be evaluated properly and that the only uh, the only form of communication that I have got and I've recorded here, it can only be intuition. It can't be noise or contamination in in any other means because i've uh, i've uh, eliminated all those from from part of the process so it's just that really um but ingo did essentially come up the words remote viewing you know in 1972 during an experiment uh, and he did come up with you know the protocols and and he developed the methodology that most of us are following in one format or another so yeah, I'm pretty a sticker on saying remote viewing really didn't exist in the modern format we have it now uh, before 1972. Mm-hmm, yeah, I hope that answers his question and other people's questions also. All right, if you have a few more moments, is there anything that you particularly want to share before I hit you with what um, I'm looking for? <laughs> uh, other than to tell people just do it, everyone's got a, an innate natural ability for intuition. It doesn't mean we're all going to be you know, world-class remote viewers, but you might have enough uh, ability that you can train over time to increase uh, also to uh, just get you through day-to-day, you know, life like finding parking spaces, lost items. And, you know, like we discussed, you know, you've got people that are interested in cryptos and markets. You could quite easily set up small little things, you know, with a, with the minimum amount of uh, uh, training and experience to get, get yourselves and follow your gut feelings. Because we know that, you know, from doing interviews with with the top ceos of s&p 500 companies that they've got where they are today generally by following their gut instinct which is it's just the same thing it's just that where we're expanding ours you know i'm no different than anyone else out there uh you know uh, i'm a normal person all i've done for 24 years is 
uh, teach myself to listen to these really subtle internal things in, inside of me. And, mm-hmm. I, and I, I know myself in that regard very intimately. So I, I know when this data comes in, if it's good or bad or whatever. And we all have the ability to do that. So yeah, yeah just, just go out and do it. Yeah. It can and change your a, life. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things that I'm so adamant about working with kids. This is yeah. because kids have this, it's there. And then the adults go and take it away and squash it and negate it. And, uh, and then they have to unlearn it or some of them never unlearn it. And so one of the things that I'm really passionate about with kids is teaching the adults to let your kids let your kids share what they're really getting and just believe them, just believe them. So that's, um, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And the, uh, the genius of the CRV process and all the other flavors that have come from it, from Ingo Swan is that we're essentially doing that as adults to ourselves. We're, so we're teaching ourselves to unlearn all those bad habits that have been enforced upon us. Uh, and it's in the, the most amazing thing for me is that, the process is very creative. It's very art-based with doodles and sketches and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and it's almost like over a period of years of doing one of these remote viewing methods of of going back to my more primitive side of sketching and drawing and doodling as a child. You know, so everything I do is like ideograms in remote viewing. It's just like really basic, like, you know, stick figures of people, stick figures of houses. And it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's almost like regressing back to when we were a child with that, uh, that amazing natural creativity that it's been, yeah, it's been sucked out of us as, as we grow older. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for that. I have one last question. This is a personal question. Tell me about, even though I have the book, but I want people to hear it. Tell me a little bit about your remote viewing for the, for 9-11 and Farsight. Was it Farsight that you, it was Farsight, right? It was yeah, a while it was a Courtney Brown Farsight project. I can't remember what a year we did it. It was it was quite a few years ago now, probably about eight years to ten years ago. Again, like all the projects I did for Courtney back then, he would literally just send us uh, an email saying, "Okay, we're ready now to begin target whatever." And it might have been something like Target Six. So that's all I had for it was Target Six, and it could have been you know anything in the world. And I right. think myself and Dick Auger both worked that Target, and we worked it for several months. I think I think my one on that was probably about four or five months continuously doing RV sessions on paper and I would do it and send it to Courtney and he would say yeah that's okay do a bit more or on page five you wrote or you drew this go back in and get more information so you know that goes on for a period of months uh and then you know you get to a stage where he goes okay you've done enough now now do the entire thing you've just done on a whiteboard and video it for for people so we did that mm-hmm. and yeah we were both blind and both myself and Dick Augar uh describe the events of 911 because there were several targets that Courtney had us do for that. I think one was to look at the 911 event in New York. One was to look at the uh, the uh, Pentagon event as well. Right, right. Um, and on both those, we got. I think we both come up with some amazing data. We, you know, I have to be honest. Though, I can't confirm whether the data comes from the actual target events themselves or maybe from mythology that is built up since you know about those 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 events or even from the mind of Courtney Brown himself, the tasker, you know, it was his intent driving what we got. Um, But for me, the most amazing data and confirmed by, I have to be honest, you know, thousands of witness testimonies from our architects and, and the the police and the firemen and pilots and everything is the, uh, 
for me is the uh, building seven and the way that that came down for me that's the smoking gun of, of of everything and my data and dick's data clearly seems to indicate that there was a shadowy agency involved a third party uh yeah and they they had demolition you know they put charges of demolition and stuff uh, and brought that building down and if that's true alone and that's a, you know and that shows that there was a conspiracy then i think then it may, means we need to look at the rest of what happened on, on on those days as well because yeah if one part's a conspiracy then other parts most probably are as well yeah so that was this is very interesting to me my body's going into chills i have been writing a book for many many years it's a young adult um supposed to it's going to be a young adult novel uh the part of the opening scenes it, it starts with building seven that is why actually that's a part of it, even how i started to find you as i was doing my research with remote viewing and 9 11 guess who popped up even though i had somebody had given me eight actually it was gail from um seattle who had given me eight martinis many many years ago all right and i'm reading through this, this is fascinating but there was i hadn't made an association with you personally and yes. then when i was doing my 9 11 research okay with remote viewing 9 11 guess you popped up okay i got the book and then one thing led to another and then here we are now talking about this so um i'm going to follow up with you uh later somewhere else okay and get some more information about Absolutely, that yeah, yeah. your brain okay for my book <laughs> because yeah um and you know it's a it's a, it's a controversial subject even to this day but I, you know i think the uh i think over the since since we did that project, I think attitudes are changing. People are a bit more aware now uh, of, you know, you can't fully trust your governments and agencies. And there's a lot more evidence coming out now. I recently just watched a documentary, I think last week, from some of the people that their relatives were killed in, in, in the buildings, you know, the, the towers themselves. They're calling for uh, more of a, a public disclosure of what went on. And there are so many architects, you know, I think there's like tens of thousands of architects and tens of thousands of pilots that have signed petitions saying you know the way that it's been described these events happened couldn't have happened that way it's impossible and, you know we're experts in our field and building you know steel frame buildings do not collapse with small fires that that kind of information so i think the the landscape of of the event is, is changing and i think that the rv data we got all those years ago uh could possibly be a bit better reviewed and discussed now because in the past when we did it, it was it was almost too controversial. Even the people within remote viewing uh, don't like to talk about the, the remote viewing we did on it back then. Mm, interesting. Yeah. 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 Wow. Um, this is fascinating. And is there anything we're coming to the end of our, my podcasts are usually only half an hour, but for 2022, I'm making them a little bit longer. So is there anything else that you personally would like to share that people, you know, need to know that you feel they need to know? Uh, nothing that comes to mind other than, you know, try it for yourself. Uh, don't take mine and yours and everyone else's word for it. Uh, remote viewing is so easy uh, you could you could literally try it for yourself in a matter of minutes and that's the only way you know to really get a sense of what can be achieved and how you can use it in day-to-day -day life and you know there are people like me you know i'm for the last three years now i've been a f this is essentially my full-time job uh, as i said uh, i'm not rich but i am making an income off it and i am uh, increasing my personal investments using in intuition uh, it's not to a stage where, you know, I'm a millionaire overnight or anything, but 
I, you know, we also have to factor into it our life goes and our destiny as well. You know, that's maybe not the destiny for all of us. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you can use it in everyday life to do the most simplest things. Uh, just, just try it out. That's all I can say to people, really. Yeah. And thank you so much. And I just love what I personally love is how the conversation, it is shifting now in, in, in the collective consciousness and that people are now beginning to talk more about our intuition, our abilities, our psychicness, uh, you know, let's use the word remote viewing, but basically our seeing without eyes yeah. and our intuitive knowledge and that we're, there's such a large conversation, not large enough yet, but a large conversation happening in this realm. So we're going to be getting new vocabulary coming. It's yeah. exciting. These are exciting times that we're in, especially in this realm of, you know, let's call it quantum leaping and quantum thinking. And, Absolutely. Yeah. you know, we're going to be developing new vocabulary here as we go along. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing to see where things are going. And, you know, even including like the... Uh, the UAP, the UFO disclosures over the last couple mm. of years as well, because we now know that uh, consciousness plays a very active part in how you see UFOs and how they allegedly communicate, how they drive the UFOs and everything. So, yeah, I think we're going to see it a lot more over the, over the coming decade. Wow, this is going to be exciting. Um, thank you for being here today with us and it has been a pleasure and if anybody listening now wants to find out more about daz please go online check daz d-a-z smith s-m-i-t-h i will have some links in podbean and follow up with him and go listen to his youtube videos and learn 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 okay all right thanks everybody for being here today see you all next week Take care. Bye. Thanks, Daz, for being here. Yes.